Hello and welcome to the Balance with Brit podcast. My name is Brittany Nicholson and I am a registered holistic nutritionist and personal trainer. In this podcast, we're going to explore all topics related to holistic health and wellness and realistic nutrition for real people. It's all about balance. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Balance with Brit podcast. My name is Brittany Nicholson and I am a registered holistic nutritionist. Uh, Today I am chatting with Shannon. Uh, She is a gut health nutritionist that helps women overcome IBS so they can enjoy their favorite foods and feel great in their bodies again. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Shannon. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I am actually so excited to have another like gut health digestion nutritionist on here um, because today's episode I think is going to be so fun. Um, We're talking about busting some common myths surrounding gut health and digestion. Um, So Shannon, some of these myths that we have been, we were chatting about before we started recording, we'll dive into them, but how common is it for you to start working with someone who, you know, is is believing in some of these myths it's quite common like and you can't really avoid it and such especially with social media and having dr google there at our fingertips and then even speaking with other people like having these myths around is sort of like you can't really avoid it you're going to come across it and i'd say every single person that i've spoken to like a client when i speak with them the a sentence will start with i've heard Mm -hmm. I've heard that I should take probiotics. I've heard that I need to have everything fermented. Like I've heard that I need to follow low FODMAP. Like there's always some sort of myths that it sort of comes off as like set in stone, concrete information, undisputable fact when that's really not the case. And I think we sort of see that when we finally understand that every single person is different, especially with things like digestive health. There's so many playing factors and components. Um, and like IBS as well, there's so many different things involved with it that you and me can both be struggling with IBS, but our treatment plans and our protocols are going to be completely different just because our bodies are completely different. Right. So there are these myths that go around that like we should be busting, but I also don't blame them for going around just with how much information we have at our fingertips now. Absolutely. That's a really good point to make when it comes to like self-diagnosis and looking at Dr. Google, like there's always these things that do this, don't do that make sure you do that. And it's overwhelming for most people because there's really like, there's no black and white when it comes to gut health and digestion. It's not like this is right. And this is wrong. What's right for one person might be completely wrong for another. Yes, 100%. And I totally agree that it is overwhelming and I can almost like speak to it. Like when someone goes to a health food store, natural food store, you go in and it's just aisles and aisles and walls of like supplements and like all these like healthy foods and whatever. And like, for us, we're like nerding out, right? Like we love that stuff. But for somebody that doesn't necessarily have that background, like it is completely overwhelming. So like Mm -hmm. you go and you just pick up the first item that you see and it says like great for, you know, your gut or whatever it might say on the bottle or something. And you just pick it up and go with it and just assume that this is going to be the solution. Right. So it is definitely overwhelming with like how much information there is out there. And with all that information comes myths. So it's what it is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, let's dive into it. We've got a long list of myths we want to bust today. Um, so let's start with number one, um, being that bloating is something that is common and it's not really something that we have to worry about. Yes. So I've seen, I see this everywhere. Like, I don't want to say it's glorified. That's probably the wrong word, but it's just, it's being shown as very common, especially on TikTok and like Instagram and things like that. People will show their blow, like their stomach, like bloated and just be like, this is me at the end of the day, like, haha, and like laugh it off. But the thing is that like, this isn't necessarily like normal. Like you shouldn't be experiencing this every day at 7 p.m. like like clockwork right like that just means that there's something more going on and something that deserves to be looked into so I guess the myth here is that bloating is not normal it's common but Mm -hmm. that doesn't just because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal absolutely I think that is a really important um distinction to make because yeah just because it's something that many people deal with Um, being that it's common, it doesn't mean that it's, it's normal. And what might, um, what might bloating be rooted in for people if they're experiencing that? Well, commonly, what I see, at least with my clients and people that come and speak with me is that there seems to be like an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. So speaking to SIBO, S-I-B-O, just for anybody listening, um, that is very common, like with IBS specifically, 78, I was reading the stat that 78% of people with IBS actually have SIBO, which is a huge number. Um, And so there is treatment for SIBO. So if you're experiencing bloating as a result of SIBO, there is hope for you and you just have to seek out that help through a knowledgeable um, treatment provider. Uh, But that is one of the most common one common conditions that I personally see associated with bloating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, a few others to think about would be um, low stomach acid, if we're not properly digesting our food, that's something that's very common as well. Um, Candida, candida, dysbiosis in general, whether the dysbiosis is in the form of excess candida or, you know, an overgrowth of those bad bacteria. Um, so yeah, there's, when it comes to something like bloating, I often see people addressing the symptom, which is the bloating by taking a supplement or drinking some peppermint tea. But I think it's really important, like you said, to address the root issue. Is it the gut? Is it digestion? Is it SIBO? Um, to really work to resolve what's going on and understand that like, no, this isn't this isn't normal, even though it's common. Yes. Cause at that point, like you're just basically doing symptom management. Like you're just yeah. managing the symptoms. You're just putting a bandaid day in and day out over the real issue. Um, but by doing that, I understand that you feel relief and that's great by doing that. The condition can fester underneath that bandaid and just become worse over time until, you know, it just sort of explodes. Um, which isn't a good thing, but it could manifest in other situations. Like for me, myself, it was sort of being, it, it came out as acne, like really bad hormonal acne. And mm-hmm. I couldn't make the, the distinction that it was connected to my digestive health. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so those are things that like, that's why I strongly recommend and try to say as much as possible. Like if you have something going on, that's going in day in, day in, day out, and it's chronic, it doesn't hurt to speak with a treatment provider and just get some, you know, background information rather than just going straight to the computer, straight to Dr. Google, just because there's so much information there. You sort of just want to speak with someone who 
um, you know, knows you more and like can address you specifically and your health. Absolutely. I think this is going to um, lead really well into our next myth. Um, when you mentioned your connection to acne and um, gut health issues, um, being that like issues in the gut only impact the gut. And if we have issues in the gut, we need to focus our attention on the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's chat about that a little bit. Yes. So like specifically with mine, like I didn't realize I was 23, 24 years old and I didn't really pay attention to my chronic bloating and like digestive issues because like I was 23, 24 years old and didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, was like, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm not going to eat like whatever, just, you know, go in, go, go day by day. But then, um, eventually I developed like really chronic, bad, bad, bad acne, like just across my face. And that's when it became a problem for me because I was a 24 year old girl, um, with acne all over my face. And just like, I couldn't handle it. Like just for my self-esteem, my mental health and all of that, like my confidence was at an all time low. And that's when it became a problem for me. But if I took a step back a few months prior to that, and just realized that like I digestively things weren't Uh, right, I could have maybe prevented the acne from coming about. But you know, things happen for a reason. Um, And so that's just an example of that digestive health doesn't necessarily only impact the gut, because it can then manifest itself into other situations. And then there's also a connection that people are becoming more aware of now with mental health, just because we have that two way connection from our gut through to our brain, the gut brain connection there. Those are very, very uh, linked as well. Um, so yeah, what, what would you say? Do you see with people? Um, well, I mean, you, I'm, I'm happy that you brought up the mind gut connection because that was a part of my own health story too. And like the connection between my anxiety and my poor gut health. And I never, ever in a million years would have thought that like these episodes of anxiety would be connected to the things that I'm eating and the state of my gut. Um, it made a lot more sense in hindsight because growing up, I was on antibiotics a lot. I was, I ate a more processed diet because we didn't really know the impacts that that had yet. Um, but yeah, the mental health connection is really strong. And I think surprising to many people as well as like, um, joint, uh, like arthritis inflammation. Um, a lot of people don't recognize that, you know, if you're feeling stiff, um, or yeah, you're feeling the effects of that arthritis, sometimes that can be connected to the gut as well. Um, allergies are another big one. Yeah. Chronic right now for most people. Yeah. If you have really bad allergies, we want to look at the gut for sure. Yes. And I remember reading, going back to the like uh, mind gut connection. I remember reading this study previously about individuals who have anxiety. They are more hypersensitive to how their body is feeling. Right. So say mm-hmm. if this person already has chronic bloating and they're bloated, they're hypersensitive to that bloating and can trigger anxiety. So now you're bloated, you have anxiety and anxiety can lead to hyperventilation, which doesn't help when it comes to bloating. So it's sort of like this perfect storm Mm -hmm. that your body is just in this constant fight. Like that, that sensation that is just like always sort of fighting, like you're on 10 Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with the anxiety, you're dealing with the hyperventilation and your digestive system is also taking a hit as well. Um, And it was just, yeah, it was an interesting read for sure. And then also one that was very interesting for that connection was through the vagus nerve that we know 
goes mm-hmm. down from our brain through to our gut. And it was talking about how individuals who sustain a concussion can later down the road, like maybe three to six month, months ish later, um, can ha- develop digestive issues because if the vagus nerve is hit through that concussion, through that impact, mm. um, it can impact your digestive system. So your gut. So that was really interesting as well, just because we see a lot of more, um, studies and such coming about with respect to, um, traumatic brain injuries and concussion in athletes and all of that, um, nowadays as well. So I thought that was interesting. So I thought I'd just mention that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think a really interesting one to note when you mentioned, you know, the impact that our gut has on our emotions. And we've kind of talking about that as a woman too, our state of our gut really impacts our hormone balance. And if, if we have that excess candida, um, if you're not familiar with candida, it's a pathogenic yeast that lives in the intestinal tract when left to grow uninhibited, it can contribute to estrogen dominance. And as we know, that can contribute to anxiety as well. So it can be a really big, vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the gut can have impacts on our, um, our mood, our skin, our immune system, um, our hormone balance. And like you mentioned, the opposite concussions and, um, injuries to the brain and the vagus nerve can also impact digestion. So it's a really interesting way to, um, highlight that two-way street. Yes, definitely. And I think this speaks to the fact as to how it's so important to not just go online and such and just pick up that like first solution that you see that Mm -hmm. you're told, you know, because everybody, as we've just mentioned, so many different things can impact the gut or the gut can impact so many other things. Um, That's why it's so important to speak with somebody just because there's so many different things. And you could actually be taking yourself down the wrong route if you just Mm -hmm. pick up anything without really just uh, discussing or going further uh, with a treatment provider. Absolutely. Like we talked about bloating, it could be rooted in so many different things. So many different things. It could be something as simple as like, you're not chewing thoroughly enough. Mm -hmm. Something as like, you know, intense as you have a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think this takes us into our, our next myth, which kind of speaks to that. I find a lot of people think in those all or nothing or black and white mentalities. Um, and this one is everyone with gut issues should take a probiotic. Mm, yes. Yes. So probiotics are fantastic. That's a myth. Yes. Being it's a myth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. With that being as a myth, like, like pro, this is the thing. Probiotics are fantastic. You have to just check on the quality of the mm-hmm. probiotic that you're taking, like the brand that you're taking, which would also be linked to the quality that you're taking. Right. So um, like an extension of that, like, so for individuals, for example, like SIBO that we were speaking about, they're, they're not going to benefit from that typical generic probiotic that you're going to get at a health food store because like that fermentation um like the pro the probiotics in there it's going to ferment in the small intestine what would be of more benefit for somebody would be a different kind of strain which is saccharomyces boulardii which is a probiotic however that strain isn't found in the typical generic probiotic that's on its own that you see at a typical you know store Mm -hmm. so while probiotics are beneficial for people who are like generally healthy, like they don't have anything going on. And it's just like, you know, like a booster for them. If someone is struggling with digestive issues already, it could help you. It could not help you. 
So Mm -hmm. it just depends. And also, I feel like I'm saying this over and over again, but it's also a reason why you should likely speak with somebody just because, again, if you aren't going to benefit from that and then you end up taking it for a long period of time, you could put yourself down the wrong route. Absolutely. And, you know, in in addition to speaking uh, on the SIBO topic, like I'm also paying attention to if there are signs of candida and like what kind of, you know, support does that, it's different in different types of people and what they might be experiencing. Yeah, totally. So, um, all of those different strains of probiotics make a difference. The amount you might see on the probiotic bottle, like 5 billion to 50 billion. Yeah. So it's a huge range of colony forming units of strains. You might see two strains, you might see 15. Um, And And also depends if like you're on antibiotics and such, not everybody knows that you should take those separately. Like someone's on antibiotics for some reason Mm -hmm. and you take a probiotic, like at the same time, you're basically negating the purpose of that probiotic. Like they shouldn't be taken at the same time. Um, But you're not necessarily warned of that on the bottles. I don't think so, at least, but no. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. We are on myth number four. Uh, you need supplements to heal your guts. No, <laughs> you don't need it. It's exactly like, it's like self-explanatory, like it's a supplement. Like it's just like, look at it as like a booster. Um, like they definitely have their place and they are of benefit in most situations. And I'll say more often than not, I do recommend them to individuals just because they do need that supplement Mm -hmm. that is lacking for their gap in their diet at that time or in their life at that time. What I personally find are the biggest needle movers are those lifestyle changes. So Mm -hmm. being more cognizant of your stress levels, being more cognizant of what kind of activity you're participating in. Things like that is what I find to be the most um, impactful just because those are things that you're going to take with you for the rest of your life and implement regularly on a daily basis. Whereas you want to sort of avoid um, relying on a supplement every day for the rest of your life. Like it's there for a short, a uh, short period for a specific purpose and then meant to come off of it mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know like when I'm working with clients often, unless it's like indicated, you know, right away, I'll often focus on diet and lifestyle changes first, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's where the hard work comes in. That's Definitely. where, yeah, like that's where we need to make shifts. So if we do make those changes and I'm still noticing some gaps, yes, I'll recommend um, a supplement. But if all I do is show you how to buy a, a, su- a supplement and nothing else, like as soon as you don't have the excess money and as soon as you're you know, not able to afford that, you're not going to do it and you've left with, you're no further ahead. Exactly. So, I would much rather give you the tools, the the recipes, the food and the lifestyle changes, um, the education to implement all of these other things. And then, yes, if a supplement is still necessary, let's add it in. But it's not like the foundation of a gut healing. Definitely. It's sort of like if your bloating or your digestive issues are chronically triggered by stressors in your life and you have no means of controlling that stressor or, you know, just handling it like ashwagandha is only going to take you so far. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like you have to learn those techniques as to how to manage stress. And you could definitely have uh, supplements to help boost and like support your body during that time. But the reality is, is that there needs to be some sort of change in your lifestyle so that you can mitigate the consequence of stress in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes I feel like, well, I do feel like we, we just live in such a fast paced society too. Everything is so quick. We want instant results, instant gratification. And a lot of people think supplements will help get them there faster, Mm -hmm. but it's not a replacement for a good diet and good lifestyle um, shifts. And I actually, that really is a perfect transition. I didn't even plan that um, (laughs) into our next myth in that gut healing can be a quick process. Definitely not. And I think we sort of like showed that at the beginning when we were chatting about how many different ways that your gut and your health and such can be impacted by like, or how it can be shown in like your in acne and hormones and your joints, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not going to be a quick process. And like the way I like to explain it is think about how long you've been struggling with these symptoms for or that you've been struggling period. Yeah. Right. You can't really expect those struggles to go away overnight because you're taking a probiotic, a probiotic now. Right. Yeah. Like it's going to, and it might take even trial and error. Like you might try something and it's not the solution and that's okay. Like it's okay to do that. Right. At least you, that that's some, look at it as like, that's something to cross off your list that didn't work. Let's go on to plan B now. Right. So it's definitely not going to be a quick process. Like think about how long you've been struggling for. Um, and it shouldn't be an overnight process. Like you, cause if it's an overnight, like, you know, sensation that I think that that just means it's like a bandaid. Yeah. Right. So there's more, there's work to be done, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I like what you said about, I say this to clients all the time too. Like you didn't get to where you are right now overnight. Yeah. It's not going to heal overnight. And sometimes it can be so discouraging when you're not seeing those results. Yeah. Um, but I, I remind people like stay the course, stay consistent. It's more important to focus on consistency than perfection. And um, with time um, and consistency, you'll slowly start to notice those improvements. Exactly. And it's a little bit more difficult. Like it is a physical condition, but sometimes it's a little bit more difficult because it's not like we see our digestive system healing. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of connected to an individual going through like a weight loss journey, right? They don't go to the gym one time for an hour and then they wake up the next day to what they believe is their ideal weight, their ideal body, etc. Right. Like yeah. it is going to take them a process, going to take them some time. And that's exactly what should be applied to when we're thinking about healing our gut. I think the same goes even for people who, you know, like you said that with that weight loss reference, even once you do achieve that desired weight, you're never done. You're maintaining, right? Yes. Definitely. So Good point. you're, when it comes to our gut health journey, you're never done. Mm-hmm. Um, because maintenance comes into it too. Like you, you need to continue to get, you know, diversity in your diet. And if you tolerate fermented foods, you sneak them in there here and there. And if you, um, you know, you're always working to prevent, um, relapse essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's, it, it can be a lot harder given the society we live in with all of the fast and processed and artificial foods and the impact that that has on our gut. Um, it makes it a lot more difficult because 
you know, I am all for balance and yeah, you can go out for pizza and nachos with friends, but if you do that every single day, your gut's not going to love you. Definitely. And like, uh, like, obviously you're not going to do that every single day, but like on the odd Saturday that you go do that, that's fine. Like go do it, enjoy yourself. But after working with like a treatment provider, you're going to have the tools and techniques as to how to manage the outcome of that outing. If there is any outcome, right? Like you may be bloated, you may not be bloated, whatever. Um, but if you are like, you know, that's okay. And you sort of know how to handle it. Right. So you not only develop, like you not only overcome your chronic bloating by working with somebody, but you're going to learn yourself on how to manage any symptoms that you might have in the future, as well as all those lifestyle techniques, um, as to have a better life lifestyle going forward. Right. So yeah, it's not only about managing what's on, going on currently, but it's like having the knowledge to, uh, like moving forward. Uh, yeah. I'm like of what you can do if you, um, you know, do have a less than stellar meal and it kind of makes you feel, uh, not so great. And, yeah. um, no, you're absolutely right. And it's like totally, like, I want to stress that it's like totally okay to do that. Like, yes, I go out to the restaurant with my friends. I get a sangria. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like here, like kombucha and all that stuff every single day. Like we have to enjoy things. You're not going to say no to going out with your friends or, you know, say no to going to a wedding or something like that, just because you're trying to live this perfect life. Like there's no perfect life. Yeah. You just have to learn how to have that lifestyle that would mitigate that puts your health first. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. Like one of my favorite things is going out for gelato and I love getting nachos with friends, but you'll also find me sipping on kombucha and making my own sourdough. And like, I think that there was a period in my life where I was a lot more strict and, um, it was a lot less fun. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Like, um, I was chatting with a friend, like before, even before the pandemic and such, like I didn't do any baking. I didn't really eat any baked goods. Cause in my mind, I was just like, it's all sugar. It's all processed foods, whatever. But through the pandemic and such, I've come across like these more healthy baking tips and like all these healthier recipes and whatever. So now I love to bake. Like I love making cookies and like all these different kinds of breads, banana bread, whatever it might be. And I just use healthier ingredients that I've learned myself mm-hmm. um, to do. And it's like, I enjoy it. Like I enjoy eating cookies again. Whereas before I would have that guilt where it's like, I shouldn't have guilt, right? Like I can like find ways to manage this and enjoy a cookie now and again. So I totally know where you're coming from. And like, I like the the food freedom approach. Cause like, yeah, like my husband can bring home cookies from the bakery and they can sit on the counter. I don't feel like I need to eat them right away to get them out of the house Um, but when I'm wanting one, I'll have it. I don't feel guilty Mm -hmm. about it. You just move on and it is what it is. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. And this, an analogy I use often, and I mean, listeners, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard it a thousand times, but it's that digestive bonfire. Um, this is what I, how I named my signature program, because if we think about our digestive system as a fire and with every insult that we, you know, throw on it, whether it's processed foods, fried foods, sugar, um, food and taught like foods, sensitivities, um, stress and lifestyle factors, life, all those lifestyle factors. So all of those things are snuffing out that flame slowly and you're left with this small sputtering flame. And then, you know, one night of nachos with your friends is enough to send you like out of commission. 
Yep. And you know, when I'm working with my clients, it is a slow, gradual build of that fire where we, you know, add fuel to the fire and um, focus on things that we can add. And, and naturally those things that are snuffing it out are kind of getting pushed out. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, when you do go for gelato or, you know, for nachos with a friend, then that wet log is nothing for that raging bonfire. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's really good. I know. (laughs) I think it's just like, I mean, maybe it's the Northern Ontario in me. Maybe, but I actually really love that. For those who are listening, I'm from Mississauga, so I don't have that very often, but like, yeah, it's a really cool analogy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And actually speaking to digestive fire, um, though this isn't what I was referring to previously, um, heartburn. Um, This is one of my favorite myths to bust um, in that heartburn means that you have too much stomach acid. Uh, no, you could actually have not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a funny thing to think of? And yeah. I don't know about you, but like, because heartburn is one of those things similar to gloating yeah. that is so common that I hear someone like anywhere say that they have heartburn or they're complaining about heartburn and my head just spins and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, just yeah. like red flags. Um, but yes, it does not necessarily mean you have too much stomach acid. It could actually mean the reverse that you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And I would even, I would almost say more commonly, it means that you don't have enough. Oh yeah, I think so too. And there's like an easy at home test that people can do like with the baking soda and the water um, where, and you like, you would have to test first thing in the morning. And I don't, I'm pretty sure it's a half a teaspoon in like eight ounces of water. And you just drink that back first thing in the morning. And then you time how quickly or how soon you have like a big burp Mm -hmm. and you should have one between two and five minutes. If it's on the lower end, then that means you might have lower levels of stomach acid. And if it's in the middle or closer to two, it's like, you know, medium to high amount. But if you don't have a burp at all, which many people don't, that's yeah, you don't have enough stomach acid. So just a quick test. If anybody wants to test their stomach acid levels at home. That's very cool. It's in, it's always very interesting when it comes to that heartburn piece. Cause if you go to your doctor, they'll put you on a proton pump inhibitor, you know, something to decrease the acid levels. And yeah, that might make you feel um, a little bit better because of the symptoms are improving, but it doesn't, it might be actually making the root cause mm-hmm. worse. And would you like to explain like kind of why low stomach acid might contribute to heartburn? Yeah. So I know with heartburn, like, and this is where people, they may not even realize it. So like in our esophagus, like going into our stomach, we have that valve what's it? It's escaping me now, the esophageal valve. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if that isn't working well, because there isn't enough stomach acid to actually, um, like turn it on per se, Mm -hmm. then it's not that valve isn't working. So if that valve isn't working and keeping the stomach acid down into our stomachs, then that stomach acid is rising up and coming into our um, esophagus, so our throat. And that's when we sort of feel it in our chest and it feels like all that heartburn and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I remember it, or at least learned it as how low stomach acid levels can contribute to heartburn. I'm not sure if you have, I know other people have other or mm-hmm. no other ways as to how it contributes. I'm not sure if you, have I mean, that. I feel like there are a few different ways, mm-hmm. like, um, one, another one too, is like, if you have a low stomach acid, situation, then you, your stomach isn't as sterile as an, of an environment and you might get Mm -hmm. some bacterial overgrowth in your stomach 
those bacteria can really feed off of the foods that are in your stomach and produce these volatile gases as a byproduct of that fermentation process. And what you're actually feeling is this, is those volatile gases coming back up. So by reducing the acid even more, you're kind of allowing those bacteria to thrive even more too. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know what it is. I think a lot of it is that, that term, that word acid, yeah. it has like a bad connotation to it. Like I think yeah. people think acid and they just think automatically bad need to remove it when that's not necessarily the case, especially in this case here. Um, whereas like you should have like a healthy amount of stomach acid in your stomach. Like there's a purpose for it. There's it's why it's there. It's always there. Um, it's just, you have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, absolutely. And Another, um, I think like, even when you mentioned acid has it like that negative connotation, we had that with bacteria for a long time, you know, and now we're realizing how important bacteria is. Yeah. Like that there is good bacteria, right? Yeah. You're totally right. Like acid and bacteria are both those things that have had negative connotations. And I think like that may have impacted like the population going forward until it's come to a point where we've realized as a whole or are coming to realize that they actually have a purpose and a role Mm -hmm. in our body. Absolutely. So, you know, the take home statement on this is if you do experience heartburn, um, that is both a symptom of an underactive and an overactive stomach. And I think it's important to ask some more questions before you, before you go on that, um, that medication, um, because grab for that those tums, you know, like yes. I know people sometimes have that travel pack in their purse or something. Cause they're so used to having to rely on it and such like there are consequences, I would say down the line from like chronic use of, um, like tums and things like that. So yeah, I would say, check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speak with your doctor, naturopath, or, you know, chat with a, a nutritionist because, um, you know, it's, one of those things that's very, very common and very rarely is the root issue actually addressed. Yes, definitely. It's like, I, like, like I said, it's similar to bloating. It's that thing that it's, it's a thing that's very common, but not necessarily normal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another myth to bust is that everyone can benefit from fermented foods. I would like to start by saying I do love fermented foods. Yes. I know. <laughs> yes, me too. Like even my protein and such, like the protein that I absolutely love is fermented as well. And it's funny. Sometimes I pick it up. I'm like, I love you, but I'm like, I know you're not good for absolutely everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's the, I also love fermented foods. Um, but it's this, those it's similar to probiotics. It's not, mm-hmm. not meant for everybody. especially if you're going through digestive struggles it's like almost exactly similar to probiotics like with respect to SIBO like someone struggling with SIBO is not going to benefit whatsoever from fermented foods if anything it's just going your symptoms are just going to be glorified um so and SIBO like you'll have that nausea constipation potentially bloating diarrhea etc and you might you know go to Dr. Google see fermented foods are great uh, for your gut and then go and pick up a bunch of fermented foods and products. And then, you know, you're not feeling the best later on, mm-hmm. um, which is no fault of your own, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that myth that it's not for absolutely every single person. Absolutely. There's the SIBO connection. And I know we've talked about SIBO, um, but you know, it stands for a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So basically it's when you have even good bacteria It doesn't have to be bad bacteria, but bacteria in general, it shouldn't be in the small intestine. 
it's in the mm-hmm. large. So if you have an overgrowth of that bacteria and it starts creeping up into the small intestine, or if um, the pH levels of the intestine are off and um, bacteria is able to travel, mm-hmm. um, you get that overgrowth in an area that it's not supposed to be. So if we just add more bacteria in the form of probiotics or in the form of fermented foods, it's going to add to the problem and not make it feel better. Yeah. Um, and then so, you have all those like not pretty symptoms because mm-hmm. you're just adding, you're just feeding the bacteria really. Like it's just waiting to be fed there and you're giving it the fermented foods and then you're left, you know, struggling at the end of your day, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I always struggle, especially like when it comes to Instagram, like I'm always posting about my, I love making my own kombucha and I love mm-hmm. making my own sauerkraut and kimchi and, you know, Instagram, unfortunately, like, is, is not me giving advice and, uh, to, to individual yeah. people. And I might get comments being like, Oh, I love, like, I feel like I would love to make my own kombucha, but it really doesn't agree with me. And I'm like, well, you should probably work with someone. There's a reason yeah. why that you're, you're experiencing that. And like, I'm not your nutritionist. Um, but I mean, let's chat if you want to, uh, because, you know, again, it all comes down to us being biochemically unique gut issues, are not one size fits all. We are not one size fits all. Yeah. Uh, what works for me is not going to work for you. What works with someone for with dysbiosis versus SIBO versus low stomach acid is not the same. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to work with someone like yourself or myself who like, this is their jam. We, we can take apart those puzzle pieces and put them back together in a way that works for you and you alone. Um, because yeah, Dr. Google telling you to eat some kimchi might not be what's best for you, even though I love kimchi and it works for me. Yes, exactly. And you you, like working with someone will get you to that point where you can enjoy that again. Mm -hmm. You can have the the sauerkraut eventually. We just need to like, you know, for SIBO specifically, we just need to eradicate that bacteria first, get it where it needs to be, heal your gut. And then we can reintroduce things. And then next thing you know, like you're able to enjoy sauerkraut again and all that good stuff, kombucha again, you know? Um, Absolutely. So yes, it's definitely one of those things similar to probiotics that it's not for absolutely everybody. If somebody is like completely healthy, nothing going on, like, yeah, you can just throw in some sauerkraut on your plate and such, and you're going to have a great meal. Um, But it's for somebody who is struggling for digestive issues and you find that you're doing the things that Google is telling you, doing the things that Instagram is telling you, and it's not working for you, then there's a reason, right? And you should definitely speak with someone. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I think it's important to to mention too, like quote unquote gut issues. There's different types of gut issues. So like, you know, someone with dysbiosis versus SIBO will probably benefit from fermented foods, um, depending on the severity and depending on where that dysbiosis is happening, like I said. So, um, that's, not me saying that if you have a gut issue, you probably shouldn't have them. They're all different. Some gut issues do benefit from them and some don't. That's what makes it hard and confusing. And treatment could be different too. Like going back to SIBO, like there's ones that are like meth- there's methane dominant SIBO, hydrogen dominant SIBO, but guess what? They kind of have different, um, treatment plans, like different ways to eradicate that, right. To eradicate that gas. 
Um, but yeah, I could talk about SIBO just because I find it personally interesting. So I'm sorry for bringing it up all the time. But no. uh, yeah, it's just to yeah, just to stress on the fact that there's different type, types of digestive issues or different types of digestive symptoms. Like I personally really only dealt with really chronic bloating. I was lucky enough not to have like nausea or anything like that, but somebody else could be experiencing that. And that is something that should also be addressed. Right. So yeah, absolutely. And we're actually like getting, this is our last myth, unless we think of any others, but this is a really big one. Um, you should simply avoid foods that you're sensitive to forever. Oh God, please. No, please don't <laughs> do this. Please. You're just going to keep adding to the list every single week, something new that you can't tolerate and such. And it's like, I, we know we touched on it earlier, but like the importance of having like a diverse diet because a diverse diet will lead to a diverse microbiome and a diverse yeah. microbiome leads to an overall healthy body, a strong immune system, et cetera. Right. So a, nutri a nutritionist will help you have a diverse diet, keeping in mind what your personal goals are, what your body needs, what your symptoms are like, your condition, et cetera, um, to feed and like just flourish your yeah. gut and your microbiome so that you can like, you know, have a happy, healthy, strong life. Yeah. This is like probably one of the most common things I see with clients are like, you know, I can't eat it this. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. And I'm like, okay, so we have done what about it? And the answer is usually like, I just don't eat them. Yeah. And, um, I feel so bad, like, especially yeah. one where it's like, I don't eat garlic. I don't eat onion. I'm like, so everything that gives your food flavor, like you're just yeah. like, not, you know, like it's kind of, it's like, you should not live life like that way. Right. Um, yeah. Like there, there is a way to like, enjoy your foods again. So yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it creates such a limited diet where like, you're not able to include diversity and something like this, where you do feel like you have a long list of sensitivities. That's when I know I like we've both been saying it, you want to work with someone because it's that's when it's getting to a point where like you need you need a second hand on this yeah. because we need to identify why you're forming these intolerances. Mm -hmm. Is it because you're not digesting your food? Well, is it, you know, an upper GI issue uh, with the stomach and so on? Or is it a lower GI issue with dysbiosis, maybe leaky gut, SIBO? um, parasites, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things. So this is something that you just like, can't do by yourself. And the process involves, you know, um, removing those trigger foods while we heal the gut or heal digestion and slowly reintroducing them. And it's a, it's a, it's a complicated process, especially if you're trying to do it by yourself, which I wouldn't recommend. Mm -hmm. And there might be, you know, I have people who are sensitive to beans and legumes and you might get to a point where like you can incorporate them and maybe you're eating smaller amounts than, you know, the person sitting next to you, but you can still eat them. Yeah. Um, and you need to rotate them. Like it's, it might still be something that you can't eat every single day, but like, you know, you can have it once in a while and not be having to worry about where the bathroom is. Um, so if you do have an intolerance to something, it's not like, it's not something that you want to just cut out forever. You want to address the root issue. And once you do reintroduce it, it might be something that you reintroduce a little less frequently than some other foods initially. But, you know, if you can build up tolerance and work with a practitioner, it's not something that needs to be like indefinite. Yes. And I also think like a, like a separate 
issue or like a spin-off issue, if you will, that comes from doing something like this is the development of a poor relationship with food. Yeah. Because you're going to, in your mind, connect, like I had to run to the bathroom after I had this pizza with my friends and it was so embarrassing and I can't eat pizza again. And then you're going to have the same situation like a month later, say with like a bean salad. Now you're not eating pizza. Now you're not having a bean salad. And next thing you know, all these things are piling up and you're just looking at like this list of foods you can't eat. And you're like, wow, I really can't eat anything. I hate food. I'm just going to stick to the absolute bare minimum, like no spices, all that kind of stuff. And you just end up developing like this really crummy relationship with food that like food is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's part of like our life. It's part of part culture and socializing and all of that stuff. And you shouldn't have that poor relationship with food. Um, if it can be avoided by getting, uh, your condition addressed. A really interesting point to make on that topic as well is the role that stress plays in digestion and anxiety. So if you have anxiety surrounding food, like if I eat this, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to have to be in the bathroom for a while by having those thoughts and that anxiety surrounding that food, you're almost like creating a self-fulfilling process prophecy because, you know, that anxiety and that stress, knowing that this food is probably going to make you feel crummy is enough to make that food make you feel. Yeah, totally. Like a lot of people don't, don't realize or recognize like IBS is commonly rooted in stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you find that you do have food anxiety and food fears, um, sometimes we have to work on our mindset as well, because you might be creating mentally these intolerances just because of the effect that stress has on digestion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect storm, right? It's like this circle of like, you're creating the anxiety. You're having this poor relationship with food. That anxiety is also not good for your digestive system. And like, you're creating this whole perfect storm. And I understand it. I've been there. I get it. Um, But there's a way to mitigate that and not have to put yourself through that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a matter of like empowering yourself and taking your health back and taking it into your own hands to seek help and just understanding that there is light at the end of the tunnel. That tunnel might be a little bit longer than you might like to think, but you're going to enjoy you. You're going to be able to live life, feeling good in your body, feeling good in your clothes, being able to go out without having having to locate a bathroom or all these things. And that is what life is about. That's like when life becomes enjoyable. Absolutely. And I think a spinoff to this question, and you kind of talked about it right at the very beginning is, um, low FODMAP diet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just go on this low FODMAP diet forever. forever, And that's not what it's for. No. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I was actually speaking about it with a client the other day that it's actually just, it's an elimination diet that's meant to be done temporarily and should be done under the supervision of a treatment practitioner. Um, rather than just for someone to do on their own or for someone to just Google a list of like high FODMAP foods and then this be their ironclad list of foods that they should never eat, right? So it should be like about like even just like 12 weeks in length-ish, like you sort of identify the foods, like you remove them, you heal the gut and you slowly go down this like reintroduction phase and like one food at a time. And that's why that reintroduction phase is typically longer because it should be one food at a time. And also measuring how much of each food, right? So it sounds a bit daunting, but the thing in my mind, what's more daunting is having this list of foods that you can't eat for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Whereas following the low FODMAP diet um, appropriately and how it's meant to be followed 
can like help you manage your symptoms or help you overcome your condition. Yeah. I, um, when it comes to my own health and wellness journey, it's, it's kind of interesting because digestion is a huge component and I, there's a lot of digestive issues in my family. And, um, I think about like my grandma who is like 91 and eats just like the blandest foods. Cause she's always afraid something's going to upset her stomach. And, um, it, she's just like a prime candidate for like talking about these things with, yeah. um, but she's not into it, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, when it came to my own journey, I was having so many digestive issues that like, I remember being at my nine to five job and I would eat lunch and immediately be in the bathroom after. And I was so embarrassed Yes, and I would see a naturopath and I love my naturopath. I still see her, but you know, the starting point was identifying those intolerances by doing a low FODMAP diet. I did that. But then even in my brain, I was like, well, she never told me to do this, but I was like, well, if like garlic and onions, which was my trigger doesn't agree with me, I'm just not going to have them. It's fine. And like, she wasn't the one to to tell me like to, that I needed to avoid them forever, but you know, I felt better without them. So I like left them out and then come to recognize that the root of my digestive issues were largely in stress and my job was stressing me out. And when like I left that role, digestion improved dramatically. And I mean, that wasn't the only stress in my life. You know, I was 22, 23. I just finished school, started my first career. Um, you know, life was changing a lot. My life was, there was just stress and I wasn't even recognizing it as stress, but my digestive system certainly was. Yeah. It was that big factor to like put you over the edge. Yeah, exactly. So once I, you know, worked to really manage that stress, I, I used exercise as a tool in stress management and not like hitting the gym, but like walking and running and different things like that. And, you know, I left that job that, you know, was not supportive and I pursued my education in holistic nutrition. I work to improve digestion. And now like I, I have garlic and onion with no problems. Like it's, it's in my diet constantly. And I think that that's really important because it, it's about addressing the root. Um, and like, I've been there, I get it. I understand how it might feel better just to like eliminate those things. And like, I feel better that way. That's what I'm going to do. But it's more important in the long term to address the issue at hand. Yes. Because I think like it's important to understand that addressing it is going to be short term as opposed to not addressing it, which could be long term slash lifelong. Yeah. Right. Like my thing was chickpeas and I love chickpeas. I love them. Like I don't, I can't imagine a life without hummus. Okay. (laughs) And so like I can go without when it came down to me, like overcoming my digestive issues, if I came to me having to eliminate that for a very short period of time, like eight to 12 weeks, rather than not have hummus ever again, I was more than happy to do so because that meant that eventually I can enjoy my hummus with garlic and all that eventually. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just mystifying, I guess, like how complex the body is, never mind our digestive system and like how it just manifests itself into all these different things. And like, we said it over and over and over and over and over and again, but it is so important to just like talk to someone, like it doesn't hurt to talk to someone 
um, because you don't want to put yourself down that wrong route because of a wrong Google search or what someone, your coworker told you or something, right? Because, and I think with most holistic nutritionists, like you and I here, but even other ones that I've spoken with, like most of us have gone through something, which is what oh. brought us to where we are right? Yeah. Like, it's like, you sort of look, think about your own struggles and such. And it's like, and you can empathize with those that you speak with, because you just want to help them. Because it's like, I've been there, like, I understand, I am like your vision of like, this is there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I can, again, eat pizza at an Italian restaurant, again, right? Because it has yeah. cheese on it, right? They don't have like a dairy free option um, there, but I still want to eat their delicious pizza, right? And I get to now, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's all you, it's all about building that digestive bonfire, right? So like we talked about building it up, is going to mean we got to take some wet logs off first. That might mean that you yeah need to el- eliminate the chickpeas and take off, take off those things that are contributing to your wet logs and start fueling it, right? Add some, some gut nourishing elements, work on repairing that leaky gut, take a look at that bacterial balance. Would you benefit from fermented foods or are you someone that first needs to focus on antimicrobials and getting that bacterial um, Mm -hmm. balance correct and slowly build up that fire and then try out those chickpeas. If it's still a trigger, take it out for a bit longer and continue building and, you know, make sure when you do introduce them, it's like nice and slow. And like, I think, um, at the end of the day, talk to someone. I wouldn't recommend going through this by yourself. Um, because like, you know, you and I, it's a lot, there's a lot, there's so many possibilities and there's so many pathways that this could lead you down and having worked, having to work with someone who not only has likely been through this themselves, but have led multiple people through this journey, um, is a way to not only simplify things, but to also like have a cheerleader in your corner. And, um, you know, I always say like, we're all experts in our own thing. Um, nutrition, gut health is our thing. Um, but like, you know, if I wanted advice on that's like, what I'm trying to say is, you know, you can't be good at everything. Yeah. You are an expert in what you do. And it's hard to know all the nutrition things as well. Yes. No, I totally understand what you're getting like nutrition and health like that's my jam I love it like for example my boyfriend he is really good like with handiwork like you know he's like doing the driveway like on his own like with interlock I could never in a million years do that myself like when I I just think like laying down bricks and whatever but there's so much more that went behind him having to do that right I could never that's not my thing he's an expert in that and he he does it yeah. I'm an ex I'm an expert. I don't want to say I'm an expert. <laughs> but I am. No, I understand. Like that's my thing. And so like nutrition and all that is my thing. So yeah, I like, I I'm an expert in that. Um, so we all have our own things. Um, and it's not up to you. Like I wouldn't like say my boyfriend, like I wouldn't expect him to like take his health and stuff and do it all on his own. Like I would encourage him to speak with somebody. Right. I would encourage anybody to speak with someone if that's not your thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like, if you're, um, a mechanic, you're great at cars. It's really hard for you to address your gut issues because cars are your thing. Yes. Right. So yeah, all of that to say, uh, we've busted a lot of myths and, uh, some of them are hard to hear because you're like, Oh man, I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And, 
Um, it, it creates more questions and, you know, more topics of conversation that you can reach out to myself or Shannon, um, and, you know, chat with someone who knows what, what they're, they're, that's an expert in this thing. Right. So, you know, if listeners want to get in contact with you, where's a good place to, um, get in touch. So you can find me on Instagram at be well with Shan, or that will also lead you to my website, or you could just go straight to www.bewellwithshan.com. Perfect. This was such a lovely conversation. Like I said, it's so great connecting with other digestive gut health nutritionists. Um, and we can really nerd out on the same. I know it's so funny. Like, it's just like, I love doing that. Like just nerding out on like a specific topic that that I personally enjoy. So yeah, (laughs) thank you. Absolutely. No, I, uh, maybe we'll have to do this again. We'll find some Mm. new, some new myths to bust. Definitely. Um, Part two to come. Yeah. Part two. If you're (laughs) listening and you're like, wait, but what about this? Send us a message. We'll add it to the list. Um, if you know someone at home that might be, Uh, struggling with their digestive health. Um, They're dealing with bloating, indigestion, food intolerances, and, you know, they might be um, following some of these myths. Maybe send this episode their way and uh, stay tuned for more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shannon. Oh, no worries. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.